just want them to say sorry. I just want them to see what they've done to me. And it was really significant for me to go, it cannot happen. I physically cannot endure this again. And I still wanted that closure. Hello all, you are listening to the Capsule in Conversation podcast. I'm Natalie Anderson and today I'm joined by actor, comedian and author Maddie Anhold as we talk the complexities of toxic relationships, how to sever emotional ties and turning negatives into positives. So take a minute and get ready to join us in our conversation. Hello all, thank you so much for joining us. I am thrilled today to be welcoming one of comedy's finest female talents. She has appeared across the BBC, ITV and Channel 4 and has performed sellout shows at Underbelly, Latitude Festival and the Soho Theatre and has amassed over 7 million views online of her sketches. And this year, she is set to tour her hour-long show, How to Leave Your Psychopath, following the success of her book of the same name. It is the fabulous Maddie Anhold. Hi, Maddie. Ah, oh, hello. Thank you for that lovely introduction, which I now realise, <laughs> I think uh, we were going to do the, the live show, and I'm like, oh my God, it's March. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything's been pushed back, obviously, because of circumstances. So the live show is coming and we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about the development from the live show to the book. But yeah, it's somewhere. Yes, it is. It's coming. Don't worry. We know. Don't worry. We'll stay with you, especially after this. I mean, thank you so much for being with me and congratulations on the book. Its tagline describes it as an essential handbook for escaping toxic relationships. And even though the, the way that you do tackle some of the subjects is humorous, this isn't a comedy book, is it? No, I mean, we were just talking about the live show. I mean, the, the birth of this book basically was, I wrote it as a stand-up hour pre-COVID and I was just about to start the tour and I was doing loads of work in progresses and it felt, at first, it felt really odd to be doing a comedy stand-up hour about my experiences of emotional abuse and coercive control I was like those two things do not go together but you know comedy has always been an incredible platform to talk about serious stuff and to get people to feel comfortable in talking about it I mean you know the there's an ability I think that comedians have if you look at someone like Hannah Gadsby for example in Nanette what she talks about is some really like a pretty hardcore stuff and Mm. manages to put the audience at ease and bring them on her journey. And so that's what I was trying to do with the hour. Then COVID hit Mm. and I was kind of really annoyed because I was like, wow, I have spent over four years researching this book and getting myself mentally prepared to perform this show, rather, sorry, the show. And now I can't do it. And then I thought, oh, what am I going to do? And it just so happened that I did another podcast with a friend of mine, Sam Delaney, and he said, oh, what have you been up to <laughs> in the pandemic? Mm. And me being me, unable to be like nothing <laughs> or just eating crisps in my dressing <laughs> gown like everyone else. I went, uh, might write a book. And he went, great, well, send me some chapters when you're ready. And I was like, oh God. And then he sent it to his wife and his wife is the phenomenal literary agent, Anna Pillai. And and then, so it went on and it became a book. So it came from a stand-up hour. So Although you're right in saying that, yes, it's not a comedy book, I think what I was really trying to do with this book is make it 
have those moments where it is pretty funny and you know there's a lot of darkness but there's a lot of light in this situation i think that's how the best comedy works if you look oh, at something yeah. like afterlife yes in that yeah. format i've taken exactly. something that's incredibly harrowing and grief and you know mental health issues and then putting it on its head which totally. brings it, it's so human to laugh in the most diabolical of situations it's yeah. a human thing to do I laugh with nerves like I saw a, a lady fall over and this is terrible now I'm saying this but I, I burst out laughing in the middle of Costa and everyone looked at me and I was like I'm sorry it's a nervous laugh because it's nervous but equally that humor is what kind of I think allows you to deal with some of the really deep stuff that you do tackle I mean I'm interested again to learn about more of you know that process of even get into the stand-up version of this, like your personal experience. You know, you are an ambassador for Women's Aid. So just talk us through that. Yeah, I got a piece of advice when I was starting writing the show. And that piece of advice was, because I, I did one work in progress and I was like, oh my God, like I'm billing it as a comedy hour. It's not funny. I'm try And I was try trying to like force jokes into bits. You know, I do a mm. quite a hardcore bit about whatever. And then I try and force a joke in on top and it doesn't work like that. And somebody said to me, uh, I think it was my agent, actually, she said, um, you know, don't worry about make, don't worry about the laughs, make it like a TED talk first. Don't even worry about it being funny. Don't worry about it being a comedy hour. Just do it as a TED talk, perform that. And then through doing it that way, you'll find those moments of that really are crying out for lightness where, you know, I remember I did that show and a woman burst into tears right and I was like oh my god how am I going to do this as a comedy and then three shows later I had the audience all with me and laughing so it was a difficult journey but it is possible um to do it as a TED talk not worry about the funniness not making it not worrying about the humor but then working on those moments where the audience is just crying out for a bit of lightness and was it difficult for you though to like I say put your own personal experiences into that or was it more cathartic yeah I mean uh, this quote I think it's from Brené Brown because I keep quoting it as my own and it's definitely not my own <laughs> <laughs> we love Brené we have her all the time like we don't have her on this podcast she is the dream but you know like everybody brings her up on here I keep saying I did several interviews and then it took me like the third one and I was like oh that I didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> these are not my words these are not my words very good not mine um she talks about the, the difference between being exposed and being vulnerable and I think that was really critical for me to hear at the beginning of uh, starting this journey which was that I was prepared to be vulnerable but I was not prepared to be exposed so there were chapters in the book the one that springs to mind straight away is uh sexual coercion which were you know phenomenally difficult to write mm. and I and they took me a lot longer to write you know I think probably that one single chapter took me eight weeks just just the one chapter and that was me working at it every day and then stepping away and finding that space and going am I doing this you know in order to serve other people or am I doing it because I feel like I have to like because I need to expose myself for the sake of this book and if that was the answer, then I pulled back a little bit because I was all right to be vulnerable because that's how people relate. But mm. I wasn't prepared to be like, you can see my entire life and my soul. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I think that's such a good differentiation of how to handle those kind of subjects that are 
really, um, as you say, emotional and can be traumatic, very. And yet you want to be able to help people without having to almost relive things and re-go over it, regurgitate and put yourself out there. It's it's a, a really brilliant way of kind of differentiating between the two and it being helpful. And, you know, like Mel B, who's again, another ambassador of Women's Aid, has said it's such a brilliant book to help you recognise the signals if if you were in an abusive relationship you talk about so many things in there and different types of relationship as well mm-hmm. you know there's the um there's the aggressor there's the the when you're dating the people that would ghost you and just all those kind of different aspects of toxic relationships I mean again go through some of these behavioral types with me because as you said it took you a long time to research both the show and the book and there is science behind the behavior Mm. traits so you know just talk me through some of those yeah I mean there is and I think you know one of the first things I had to tackle when doing this book was imposter syndrome because I felt like oh people are gonna say you know you're not a psychiatrist you're not a therapist whatever But then I began to realise, hold on a minute, I've had 10 years of lived experience of being in these relationships. And I think unless you've been in them and what what we were saying, you know, before we start recording is the amount of people that are coming forward going, oh, my God, I read your book and like the traits are there from my boss, from my colleague, from my friend. Like, you know, she makes me feel someone said to me the other day, you know, I often feel really suffocated in her company. Like if she's having a bad day, then I'm having a bad day. And, um, you know, I was going, okay, well, like, (laughs) let's talk about this because I talk about in the book, I talk about enmeshment, which is Mm. essentially most likely it happens when you've got a parent child relationship where the two are just, as it sounds, completely enmeshed. One emotion, emotional state of one person just completely blends into the other. There's no autonomy, no individualism, which is you know, very dangerous when you when you've got a child or, you know, a teenager, because they need to find their own two feet. If it could be, for example, if the if a daughter would say, you know, I'm feeling really anxious today or I'm really stressed, and then the mother or the father or someone, you know, close to them would say, Oh, I'm feeling that too. We're feeling this together. Without <laughs> you. Know? you. <laughs> like, I need to feel these things on my own. <laughs> so yeah, I mean obviously like the through line of the book is about those you know romantic relationships and finding those nuances because you know there are like you said you know very rightly at the beginning when you're in the dating stages there's things like negging and love bombing which then goes on to isolation so let's talk about those so love bombing Mm. is being you know completely overwhelmed with compliments expensive gifts dinners and you know, you might think, oh, my God, that sounds great. <laughs> but these are designed to sweep you off your feet. And so that you you're not thinking straight, basically. So you're going, you know, it happens so regularly with, you know, women who perhaps are falsely hearing that biological clock that we've been told is should be ringing in our in our 30s should be taken away you know that's what we've been fed so we're then going oh my god you know I'm 30 I'm single I need to meet someone my friends are meeting someone they're all having babies oh my god it's pressure mounting and then you meet this person let's say and they go oh you're everything I ever wanted I've been looking for you this is the first day do you want kids I want kids should we just have kids should we get married god this is amazing I mean this is moving so fast but I honestly I feel like I'm falling in love with you right now, by the end of that day, you're going, oh, struggling to find my breath a little bit, but I, I, I think this is amazing. And then very slowly, you, you're thinking, wow, this, I've never been made to feel this way. The compliments, like, he adores me. 
And then very, very slowly, love bombing will move to negging. Negging is um, compliment, uh, criticism masked as compliments. So it could be mm. things like one of the, I remember this line very clearly, which was, oh, you looked really beautiful yesterday when you were wearing less makeup. I mean, you look fine today, but you looked really like a lot more beautiful with less makeup on. <laughs> and so you go, oh, thank you. I don't know how to take that. I I hate that. And that I, like, I'm, we're in the same industry. I'm sure you've had, I mean, I know I have, agents, casting directors, people in the industry who say things that are a little bit ne- like they neg you and you're going oh like oh that didn't feel nice and mm. your gut instinct is going this doesn't feel good and then from there you get tactics of isolation and that can come in and you think it will never happen to you you think you're so close with your family and I was and I am now but at the time I thought it'll never happen but slowly they'll say things like god you you know, you don't always have to answer the phone when your mum calls. Or, I just wanted to spend the evening with you. Like, please don't always have to talk to your family. Or, I don't think your dad likes me. I mean, I'm not going to make you choose, but I'm just saying to you, he doesn't like me and it makes me uncomfortable. Right? And so slowly you'll go, well, you know, this is my own, this is my shot. Like, this is my relationship. I've got Mm -hmm. to give it everything. So I will start cutting people off. And okay, yeah, maybe my friend is saying some bad things about him on her, like because they can see what's happening. Mm. And before you know it, it's population two, you and your perpetrator. That's a very dangerous place to be. This episode of The Capsule in Conversation is brought to you by Harrogate Spring Water. Famous for its waters since 1571, Harrogate is Britain's premium natural source water. I'm such a blinking compassionate person that I would start turning around and going oh, but they've had this happen in their life and this is why and and try and make every excuse possible for this person that I would probably do that kind of thing. In fact, I have done that in previous relationships to my husband. Um, I, I was in a relationship with somebody who would drink a lot and to be honest, it was quite difficult, but I would make excuses all the time because I'm so compassionate. And do you think that people do realise their behaviour or do you think... If you kind of put a mirror up to them, you know, and they said, oh, yeah, I actually, I didn't realise that about myself. Do you think that's still worth investing in that relationship or just walk away straight away with those red flags? I think it's difficult to say as a kind of sweeping statement. Yeah. But my gut would say you've just spoken there about a relationship with someone who drank too much. You know, I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, in the in the, in the grand scheme of things in my book, I'm, I am talking about very highly abusive people that are mm. seeking to destroy your life. I'm talking about narcissists and psychopaths. But, you know, it, it is still a toxic relationship to be with someone who drinks too much and who makes you second guess mm. your next move and has to accommodate them all the time. And so the way I put it is this, is that with any toxic relationship, right, it's like being on a hold to BT. You're on hold to BT, you want your internet fixed. You've been on hold 46 minutes, right? You going, I am losing the will to live. It is 46 minutes of my life at a, on a premium rate number. But if I hang up now, that's really <laughs> 46 minutes of my life that I've wasted. 
So if I just stay on this phone, then maybe at the end of this phone call, I'm going to get the answer to my problems and I'm going to have super fast internet and, and it will be like the light at the end of the tunnel. So you keep holding and you keep holding because mm. that's the easiest thing to do because you've already invested. It's got the fallacy of sunk cost, right? You've already invested so much. And then unfortunately, 9.9 times out of 10, the phone gets cut off or they can't help you or they're rude or the, the phone line shuts or something. And that is what happens. I think the most important thing to say is don't wait for your wake up call because it may never come. Yeah. And, and as you said earlier, you know, that even like you said before, not even just intimate, like romantic relationships, but relationships with bosses, with friends, with parents, you know, we've every and people put in their their stuff on you and you taking it and taking it and then not realizing, as you said, this is toxic. This is a toxic relationship, whether that's a job and whether that's a friendship. You know, when people start to really encroach on your personal space, your headspace so much, they are the warning signs as well in all those different areas, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's really difficult to know when to pay attention to warning signs. Like mm. we can talk, I can talk about red flags <laughs> like for an hour and I've been asked to write so many articles recently on like, give us five top fla- red flags of being in a relationship mm. with a psychopath. And I'm like, it's all well and good. Really, I can tell you a million red flags to look for. And, and I, you know, I'm sure we will go through them. But, you know, ultimately, your gut, or as I call a lady gut instinct in the book, she is there for a reason. And she is built up of your experiences and your watching of other people's behavior. So you can feel it if you get real quiet, if you want to meditate or if you just want to like sit down and just breathe and the thing about these relationships in whatever way they come is that they are insidious and they are designed to exhaust you so that you don't have time to stop and go something doesn't feel right right Mm -hmm. so like for me for example I was starved of sleep a lot right I would often be like a walking zombie I'd get woken up oh I'm coming home at this time you know, you've got to be there because we're going to watch TV together in the middle of the week, like two o'clock in the morning. Right. Okay. And you don't question it because off the back of that, you're getting gaslit. Oh, you know, you're so paranoid. You think something's going on behind your back, but it's not, it's all in your head. You're losing your mind. You know, you're jealous, you're needy, you're histrionic, you're hysterical. I mean, there's so many and you're going, shit, I'm the one who's ruining this relationship. It's not me. Is it? It's not them. It's me. And so you do accommodate them more and more and you're exhausted and you're isolated and you're often, you know, there's there's a link in my book. There's a real link between um, the gut and what's going on in your digestive system. And this is quite quite new research. And there's always mm. been they've known that there's like a, a link between, you know, depression and anxiety and what's happening in your digestive system. But now the two are literally being held side by side. It's in fact, it's called your second brain. And so in that instance, a lot of women who are in abusive relationships, work, whatever, romantic, tend to suffer with gastrointestinal problems. So I lost, my God, over six stone, you know, in a, in a very Whoa. short space of time. My cousin said to me recently, oh my God, you look so great. How did you do it? And I was like, uh, do you well. want the truth? Or... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's another conversation about why we stop telling women they look great when they've lost weight. That's another thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
anyway but yeah so so I mean yeah it's a roundabout answer but that that's the kind of the, the things to be looking out for and what to do is listen to your gut and if you are listening to your gut and, and your instinct is this isn't right for me it's still incredibly difficult isn't it to break that cycle and to actually make the step to actually go or do something about it what would be your advice you know in in those moments and how to deal with those things and how to reach out where would you what would you say yeah i think well i mean one of the chapters in my book is called why don't you just leave him mm. i heard it so many times in mm-hmm. fact i wrote an article before the book came out and I, i'm not going to name names but i was absolutely shocked to receive a i've actually put this into the book <laughs> i was actually shocked to receive a response from a producer fyi very high up who basically called me out on not being courageous enough to leave not only is that massively victim blaming but you are you know so overlooking the point which is that you know number one you know if we want to talk about the rates of femicide of women who leave abusive relationships are astronomical like post-separation vulnerability of those who've been in abusive relationships who get you know or hoovered back in it's called and are either abused worse the second time or killed you know that's really what we're dealing Mm. with here so not only are they dealing with this you know massive gravitational pull of fear that's dragging them down they're also dealing with hormones I mean this is this is a chemical dependency we're talking about here which is often overlooked, you know. I mean, do you, I can go into the cycle of abuse if you want. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. I think it'd be really helpful. I remember learn, um, speaking to a psychologist about this and it really broke me. This is one of the bits of research that really kind of ruined me because, it, you know, I say this in the book, it was like a hug of belief. You know, these things were told that they're in our head so often. And when I found out about the cycle of abuse, I was like, shit, like it was real. And not only was it real, it helped me, rid myself of toxic shame that I let it happen I say in inverted commas anyway so the cycle of abuse if you think about a a circle so at the top you've got the honeymoon phase right it's all the love bombing that we were speaking about Mm. you've got your gorgeous hormones in there you've got your dopamine you know these like lovely oxytocin all of these nice chemicals and hormones that are making us feel love and feel at ease really And then from here, we go into the tension phase. Now, the tension phase, uh, if you've been in it, you will know this as soon as I say it, which is where it's things like you'll walk into a room and you can't put your finger on it, but there's this air of tension Mm. and your shoulders start creeping up around your ears and you'll find that you can't quite get your breath and you're worried about what they'll do next. And it doesn't need to be physical, but it may just be that they are in a filthy mood and this this just you know the cycle I'm just going to keep saying the word cycle these are patterns Mm. and so from there you're dealing with the stress hormones cortisol you're dealing with you know all of your dopamine this has been replaced now with cortisol you're feeling the stress the anxiety or everything that comes with that from there you know something is coming like a tornado but you don't know when or what it will be then you're at the bottom of the circle and the bottom of the circle is the explosion, the rage. And that is when you're dealing with those fight or flight, you know, the adrenaline. These are powerful chemicals, hormones in your body. There's not even a set. There's no sense of grounding. There's no mm. sense of, of protecting yourself. It's, you know, I stay here and I wait for this to end. You almost cannot take any more. And then the circle goes all the way around and you go to the reconciliation phase. 
the reconciliation phase is all of the don't look for the words I'm sorry because it won't they won't come but it will be things like you know they'll say things like I don't know why we need to argue like this you know I don't know why you have to wind me up in this way I just wanted a quiet evening in a massive gaslighting statements you are a nightmare when you're in your period I can't deal with you no wonder I get so wound up you know these are things that women will hear and just discount because they'll go I am really hormonal I am on my period and you're like fuck it out it's nothing to do with you Mm. and so then you know you've had this I call it the hormonal helter skelter and you've you've just left the reconciliation phase and what do you want most more than anything in the world you want a hug a hug (laughs) and you want it off your perpetrator and that's the irony and then you're back round to the beginning of the circle and so the cycle continues Hello, I'm Florence Given, best-selling author of the book Women Don't Owe You Pretty, and I have a new podcast called Exactly. In this first season, we'll be diving into five big topics, sex, social media, feminism, relationships and body image, and exploring them all from different angles. I'll be chatting to some amazing guests, from psychologists and doctors to cultural commentators and celebrities. Out now. Listen and follow Exactly with me, Florence Given, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hearing you say that is, I I definitely know myself now, I've 100% been in this situation, again, previous to my husband, but still I've been there. And it's that thing of having your caregiver or your person hurts you and loves you and you then become so dependent and you think that that's passion and that's love and that is but that's what it's meant to be it's meant to be one minute with this and then and actually I was explaining this to a friend and now that you've said it in these terms it's it's clearly an actual definition for it but I remember saying to a friend when I met my husband you know actually real love makes you feel warm in your stomach like as in like a hot dinner as in it's it's comforting, yeah. it's kind and it's lovely. It yeah. isn't these extremes where you can't breathe and you, you're like constantly like on edge, as you just said, and you're thinking what's next. But then when you make up, it's so passionate and you think, oh, but this is it. This is what it really is. And it's so not that. And there are people that I think get fooled into thinking that the other kind of probably, you know, more uh, healthy relationship is boring. And they get told it's boring. It's boring. Oh, what do you want to do that for? It's boring. Oh my God. It's not boring. It's <laughs> yes. grounded. And that's the yeah. difference is you, you can thrive yeah. and be healthy in a place that's stable. Yeah. But when you're not in that stable place, you you literally, like you said, you know, surviving mm-hmm. on your hormones and that helter skelter. And which is why I think I found with our events that we've done and with feedback that we've had, so many women looking for how to heal and how to reset and rebalance. Because unbeknownst to them, they're actually on this cycle all the time. And until somebody points it out, as you've just said then, you don't recognise it. You just think it's normal and you're told it's normal, which is a big part of the gaslighting, isn't it? Massively. And it's so interesting that you've said the word boring there because I know I have been in those or was in those relationships certainly where I was like, God, I don't want to be, this is so boring. 
right? And then you think that, that so there's an extra part of that puzzle here, which is it's a difficult one to talk about because people will immediately jump and go, no, that's victim mm. blaming. Now there's a there's a real difference between accountability and blame, right? No one is to blame for falling into a, an abusive relationship. It can literally happen to any person. But there is power in taking accountability for it. So, I mean, I know someone now who, for example, is in the cycle of going from man to man, each more abusive than the last. I mean, I see myself in her. This is exactly what happened to me. And anytime there's someone who may show a glimmer of being, as you say, grounded and all of this, they will be labeled as boring. No, I haven't got time for that. So basically understanding that the accountability for going not oh, it's my fault because I keep falling into these, but saying, hold on a minute, why do I, why am I drawn to this? Is it because maybe I'm just throwing this one out there as I do in my book. Is it because I am slightly codependent, possibly as I was, I hold my hands up and say, I love fixing broken people. I, even if I am totally broken, I will go to the next man who is more broken than I am and fix them. And I will come out destroyed and they will come out relatively healthy and you know that needs to be addressed before you even get into another relationship or hopefully if you get out of one so I think you know going back a little bit because we were talking about the cycle abuse and how to get out of these relationships you know the first fundamental thing to do is not to rush so to hold and and that may sound strange because you're like you need to get out now these people are really dangerous you know more dangerous than we give them credit for And so actually, if you've started noticing what we're talking about and going, oh, my God, like, that's me. I'm in that. It's exhausting. Then all you need to do is step back a little bit and go, I'm going to have some accountability for this because I'm I'm more than this. I'm more than my circumstances and I deserve more. And so educating yourself on what is happening with podcasts like this, with books like mine and going, "Okay, I understand what's happening. And then it depends how severe the situation is. If you've got children and that person is an intimidator and aggressor and you're scared of them, as I was, pack yourself a safety bag, get your ID documents in there, get a few changes of clothes and toiletries. Make sure you're doing this obviously out of their sight. Do not let them know that this, you know, you're about to leave. Put that bag with a trusted friend if you've got one or hide it somewhere in the house and start learning their schedule. Don't expect to have a reasonable conversation with them where you go this isn't working and they go yeah I felt it for a long time it's not happening you just need to leave and leave um you know as slowly and carefully as you can women's aid have got a live chat that they use you can text them it's really nice and you you can speak to one of their trained advisors and it's you know instead of having to pick up the phone and have long drawn out conversations you can just text it's great There's rail to refuge schemes. Your train tickets can be paid for to go to refuges or the National Domestic Abuse Hotline where you've got people on hand to help you know that what you're going through, you're not going through alone. As you say, then, there are all of these resources. But again, if you don't recognise it, you wouldn't necessarily know to go to those places. And and I will read out um, the Women's Aid details as well at the end of this podcast. Because it is important and it's, you know, even things like the withdrawal of affection and like we said, you know, ghosting, which can be truly traumatic for people. Mm. I've, again, experienced that myself and think, how could you be so nasty? Like, is this just a fundamental nastiness in it that you just think, what? And it leaves the person kind of going from, as you said, you know, the kind of love bombing 
situation mm. to absolutely zero. And it's yeah. a grief almost that you kind of have to go through like that process. But then what happens is with the other person is you then can't stop yourself wanting an, an closure and an explanation mm. and that mm. I know for many women many of my friends that I've spoken to have been on dating apps recently have said to me that is some of the worst part of dating on um, apps and things because people can just ghost you and you can still see their activity and then is it haunting where they're on the periphery and then they want to come back and suck you back in again and you're almost made to feel so grateful that they're back, mm. that you then step back into that cycle again. Because this is the thing in dating in the 21st century is so different and people have got access to all these apps and everything, haven't they? Yeah, so, yeah, hoovering, hoovering yeah. When on the outside. But yeah, I think it's really interesting, actually. I've never brought this up in, in another interview. It's so interesting what you just said there about closure, about the need for closure, because, my God, like, I was just like watching you going, oh yeah. Like I remember vividly, you know, I, I properly tumbled out head first with like nothing. I mean, I was quite literally a shell, like a shell of my former self, super thin, you know, I had nothing left. My eyes were literally dark. I had nothing in, in me to give. And still a week or two later, I would go, I just want them to say sorry. I just want them to see what they've done to me. I want, I almost, I, re, I actually got a photo, right, on my phone, which I, um, I've i deleted and then recovered so many times. It's, it was really useful for me when I was writing the book because it was a photo I took of myself at that time where I vowed I would never put myself through this again and let myself be put through this again. And it was really significant for me to go, I can't, it's not like I'm saying it won't happen. It cannot happen. I physically cannot endure this again. And I still wanted that closure. And yeah, there is the, the end of the book. I talk about hoovering, which is essentially you are the finest ego masseuse without perhaps knowing it. Right. You have been taught over however long. It doesn't matter if they're micro relationships on dating apps or bigger. If you're if we're talking about narcissists here or psychopaths or controlling personality mm. types, let's say you've been taught to help massage their fragile, high self-esteem doesn't mean that you're going to give them loads of compliments but your purpose is as an object and um, that's maybe a horrible thing to say but it's completely true you are there for sexual gratification you are there for um, something on their arm you are there to make them feel better about themselves you are never there because they fully respect and admire and love you and that is such a difficult pill to swallow but it's true and so it doesn't matter if they've discarded you or if you've managed to find some ounce of strength and leave in a week in two weeks in however long they will come back if you don't put if you don't block and stop it they will come back and you as you say will quite rightly will go oh like maybe this is going to be different maybe maybe it, it is great that they've come back in touch with me because maybe we've had time apart and it's not going to be like that Whereas the sad truth is it's going to be a whole lot worse. They just missed how good you were at making them feel better than they do. And this is the thing is you have to kind of be, find that strength to have your own closure 
And even if you don't get it yourself through, you know, if somebody walks away from you or whatever, even if that actually doesn't come, even whether that's a friend, even, you know, in a friendship situation, you have to become resolute with this is not Mm. your problem. This isn't Mm. your issue. Actually, that's their issue. And for you, you can heal and get better and, you know, build yourself up and look after yourself and practice self-care and invest in all the little, the good things that you are good at. I've said this before on, on our podcast and when we've done events, you know, the little wins, just, you know, doing, even if you don't feel like it, you know, just doing like a, a three minute run and you did it. And then the next day you might do three minutes and 10. And those little wins will be the things that just start to give you that little bit of a hug and help you build your self-esteem. Because that's what you need is that strength and that care as well with your friends and families that you will have most likely, as you pointed out earlier, been isolated from. Now, obviously, we have tackled some really like deep uh, and important subjects there, and you do so in the book. But I think what's really interesting is with your approach is that you talk about these things in such a way that it makes you want to read on because it can be difficult to talk about these things and it can be difficult to hear. But the way in which you are engaging people is through that humour and that um, shared experience so that you can laugh about it, which then encourages the reader to read through to the end and get that really valuable knowledge. And as we pointed out earlier, you know, you are at some point taking this on on onto a tour. Um, so <laughs> yeah. what will what can we expect from it as a one hour um, comedy? At this juncture in time, we're getting, you know, a lot of interest for, for TV. So we're going to, you know, watch this space where that's concerned. There's already talks of a book too. So we're, I'll be working on that as well. Um, yeah, at, at some point, whether it's the end of this year or next year, not sure yet, I'll be definitely doing a, an hour, which is actually written, but it's so interesting because obviously the, the hour that I started pre pandemic is so different now I've done it as a book and so that will be you know massively reworked so yeah I think at the moment it's all kind of very exciting and and very much like what I'm enjoying on a day-to-day basis is that almost you know yeah it's almost every day I'm getting a message from someone on Instagram or you know on Twitter saying oh I had this brilliant one the other day which I haven't heard before which I loved which was from a guy who said I got dragged into a bookshop and with this girl I've started seeing and I picked up your book and I read the first few pages and I had to download it as an audiobook. and I've just finished it and I want to thank you for holding up a mirror as we said earlier and showing me some of the things that I'm doing sometimes unconsciously because I really like this girl and I don't want to I don't want to mess it up and um, yeah just thank you from a male point of view for making me see things without making me feel awful about myself and I thought I love that. (laughs) I love that. That's fantastic. I love that. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And I think that's what's going to be exciting about the show is that you'll, you know, undoubtedly get put people coming together and they might Mm. start to see things in themselves that actually they'll probably laugh at, but then to walk away and go, and you know, there's going to be a conversation going, you do that. You know, you do that. You do that, (laughs) don't you? (laughs) I mean, God knows how many arguments, (laughs) but you know, there will be those elements of talking and, and in, in the way that you're presenting this, I think it, it, it'll be a really helpful way to actually air those conversations, mm-hmm. to actually kind of, as we've just said then, 
point things out to people that may have well been in relationships for a really long time and that could seem very happy and very healthy mm. but then there mm. comes to a point where you know the relationship gets stuck or fractions happen and it might mm. be that actually some of the things you're talking about have uh, you know embedded themselves in the relationship but and through this medium of what you're doing mm. you'll be able to have people having much more frank conversations and as you said you know it is looking likely that it might become a tv show as well which is I- extremely exciting and you know you're an actress as well as a comedian mm. one of the things i wanted to ask you was about the women that have inspired you you know who has mm. inspired you in your career and personally as well Yeah, I mean, you know, I I couldn't answer this bit without talking about some of the women at Women's Aid. You know, Teresa Parker, head of communications, honestly, from the very beginning, from me, you know, wanting to even put pen to paper and finding the strength to do that, however many years ago, she went, let's meet up for a coffee, let's chat. And since then, that Women's Aid community have been there, you know, and and all of the ambassadors, Katie Piper, like there's so many women that I could say, just look down the list of ambassadors. And it's not just women, but um, so I'd say the Women's Aid community who have helped me see things and believe my own voice. Within my family, I'm really lucky to have a very strong mother figure who was always there for us and, you know, I think one of the hardest things I had to deal with with this book was both my parents saying to me, you know, we feel really guilty that we weren't there. And the thing is, they were there. But that's this is what I was talking about earlier. It doesn't matter if they are Mm. or not. You know, you are ostracized from them. Um, So when the book came out, it was actually a really nice but you know, painful, but nice way to go like, this is where I was for that time. Um, I'm okay now. Look at me now. But this is what happened. So my sister included in that as well. And then the whole literary scene behind this book, Carol Tonkinson at Bluebird. My God, she's this woman is absolutely incredible. Like it was just a dream to work with her. My my literary agent, Anna, as well. So I've had a team of brilliant, strong women behind me. And in terms of like your acting ambitions and career, who are the women that you would look up to in that arena? Yeah, I mean, I I love Catherine Ryan. Um, you know, I think she crosses that bridge between comedy and acting so well. Um, and and if you look at like someone like Sharon Horgan, who I I think is brilliant as well. You know, she it's funny, and you I'm sure. Well, maybe less so, but I'm 34, and um, you know, there's that weird thing in this industry that you go, yeah, but. If I haven't had my break, I don't even know what the break is, by the way, but this is what we talk about. But I haven't, I haven't had this break. And as we know, like, it's never consistent. You will have a six-month lull. Like, my partner, he, I was laughing the other day because I think it was yesterday I went, oh, my God, my work is so quiet. I feel, re- I'm feeling really anxious. He's like, Maddie, you just had a book launch of your debut book. You've just finished your second book. Like what? And I'm like, oh yeah, I do have this awful tendency to go, and now what? And now what? And now what? So sorry, that was not really what you asked me, but I think it- <laughs> no. But I was get, I get it. Like Sharon Horgan, and I was even thinking yeah. then, you know, in in the premise of of the work that you do, somebody like Ashling B, you know, yeah, like you know, yeah, yeah. Th- I think that that comedy tragedy kind of uncovering things in in a way that it's done is so clever and I I would probably you know obviously Sharon Horgan has worked with her and This Way Up which was brilliant. I think that's those are really good shouts for people who are able to cut that really you know quite difficult line between 
comedy and going like quite deep into some hardcore stuff. So yeah, I'm in, I'm really interested. I'm very excited to see which one of these, you know, options that we have at the moment becomes an option, an actual option. And then, um, and then yeah, move forward with it. In terms of your actual well-being, as you've said now, you know, you have been on this incredible journey and you've documented it now in a way that is of service rather than it being exposing. How do you like look after yourself? What, you know, what are your go-tos for protecting your well-being? When I was writing this book, I actually moved, it was in the pandemic and I moved out of London to Brighton because I think I find the sea being by the sea really therapeutic and really calming and just having a horizon which we do not have in London (laughs) well it's very difficult to find and uh, I remember driving down to Brighton between lockdowns you know it feels like a lifetime ago Mm. now but and seeing the horizon and being like oh my god I can breathe and I was and I was I hadn't taking a proper breath in however long you know and I sat on the beach and it was freezing and I was like you know this is the first time I feel free enough to share my story so I would say on a daily basis and you know not I don't give a crap about exercising to lose weight to to get on the scales I'm not talking about that I'm talking about even if it's a gentle walk every day seeing a horizon is really important to me and taking that breath and watching and just seeing the space and being there present in the space. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's it's so important. Again, something else we talk a lot about on on here is is um, exercise for the benefits of mental health and mm-hmm. for what it can do for you for your endorphins. Nothing to do mm-hmm. with kind of shape and yeah. all that stuff, but to to have that element of quiet in your brain of that moment for yourself, which is just like putting one foot in front of the other and as you said taking things in and taking a moment of of quiet um it's Mm. been absolutely brilliant to talk to you today i thank you so much for being with me it's been so insightful oh thank you i've enjoyed it so much thank you for having me on just for you guys at home if anything in our conversation has resonated with you today and you feel that you might need some extra help and support then please do contact women's aid at www.womensaid.org.uk where someone will be available to talk with you as maddie said on chat or whether it's you make a phone call or there will be somebody there to help you so please do do that um you can also get a copy of how to leave your psychopath online or in all good bookstores and you can also get it on audiobook as well and if you'd like to follow Maddie to follow to find out more about her work with Women's Aid and where she will be performing next this year (laughs) (laughs) follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Maddie Anholt for more well-being fashion and beauty don't forget you can visit us at our website www.thecapsule.co.uk you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting the in conversation page and subscribing to any of our podcast channels and youtube please as always do feel free to leave your rates and reviews we do love to hear what you think about the series and past episodes so just drop us a message you can also do that at instagram at official capsule I will be back next week with another fabulous guest and more conversations of inspiration. But all that's left for us to say today, as always, is goodbye. So it's goodbye from Maddie. See you. Thank you. And goodbye from me. 
This episode of the Capsule in Conversation was brought to you by Harrogate Spring Water. Bottled at source, Harrogate Spring offers a pure, refreshing taste with a delicate blend of naturally occurring minerals and electrolytes, perfect for healthy hydration.